Congdon, Director of Congdon Ministries International. In part one of this two-part series, we focused on answering a question many are asking today. Why is lawlessness increasing in our day? We turned to the Bible for answers and discovered that Paul's letter to the Thessalonian believers offers an explanation by telling us about three signs or indicators that will take place at the end of the church age. The first sign, a falling away or apostasy in the church. The second sign, the church's removal from the earth in the rapture. And the third sign, the appearance of the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness that will come after the Holy Spirit and church has been removed. Also, we gave examples of increasingly worldliness in the church that clearly demonstrate that the world is influencing the church more than the church is influencing the world. This is happening because, first of all, the church is failing to equip its believers. Furthermore, the church is failing to obey God's word. And finally, the church is failing to fulfill its commission to share the life-changing gospel as salt and light in a lawless world. Now, the Lord may possibly remove the church in the rapture for that very reason. See, a great apostasy has entered the church and is causing it to become increasingly ineffective. Now, here in part two of our series, we will examine some of this apostasy's teachings that are spreading rapidly throughout the church. We're going to look at three truths that we must understand and recognize if we want to be victorious in our own personal lives and in our churches. This should encourage us in these challenging days. Finally, I will suggest what we can do to counter this apostasy. This is apostasy's false teaching and influence. Please join me now for part two of our series. are the final days of the church age and the church is falling away from biblical truth once delivered to the saints, then we must face the very real possibility that the uniquely significant apostasy that Paul, Jude, and John warned about, that it's present within the church right now. I believe this is the case for a unified body of unsound doctrines is permeating churches and Bible schools throughout the entire world today. It is rapidly infiltrating the church through the word of mouth, through books and articles, prominent speakers, and the internet. You see, the internet uniquely provides the means of communicating ideas and disseminating them exponentially around the globe. Now, this teaching has been present throughout much of the church age, but has taken on a new persona in recent years. It has been repackaged so that it appeals to the present generation that is looking for deeper teaching and answers to basic questions about life in the here and now and in eternity. Since many of the millennial 
and Gen Z generations have a worldview that has been shaped by secular influences in schools, the workplace, the media, and the culture around us. They're easy prey for this apostasy. As previously mentioned, many churchgoers are undiscerning and therefore unable to recognize doctrinal error because the preaching and teaching ministries have not adequately equipped them. When carefully examined in the light of Scripture, it becomes evident that this apostasy offers a form of godliness that denies the power thereof. The very description that Paul warned Timothy about for the latter days in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. What power does it deny? The Holy Spirit's power. It's the Holy Spirit's power that enables believers to understand and obey God's word, discern good from evil and truth from error, live as a new creation in Christ, and reproduce new believers through witness and the word of God. In other words, the Holy Spirit edifies, enables, convicts, sanctifies, and gives new spiritual life. How does this great apostasy deny the Holy Spirit's power? Here are two prime areas of this apostasy's teachings or doctrines that are permeating the church today and quenching the work of the Holy Spirit. The first is, this apostasy denies that all individuals have been given the freedom to choose their own destinies. That is to accept or reject God's gracious offer of redemption through faith in the atoning work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection. Instead, it teaches that God arbitrarily pre-selected only those whom he wanted to redeem. According to this teaching, the pre-selected individuals are regenerated and then later given faith. That regeneration occurs sometime prior to their hearing the gospel. Thus, this acquired faith enables them to confirm and acknowledge their regeneration. Now, they're already saved because they were regenerated. They only needed to acknowledge that they are saved and to confirm it intellectually. In actuality, this is an intellectual assent or a head knowledge not necessarily genuine salvation. You see, faith is simply believing that something is true and then relying on it, trusting it. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict individuals of the truth of the gospel. It's then up to the individual to choose whether or not to believe the message and receive it by faith or reject it. Faith is a decision of individual choice, not a commodity that must be given. Why God chose not to offer redemption to everyone is not considered by those holding this apostasy, even though it is obvious that those who were not chosen for heaven are destined for hell. Those who hold this doctrine also do not consider how it denies God's attributes of grace, mercy, and love. For John tells us, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's John chapter 3, verse 16. 
And we read also in the scriptures, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise that is to return for his bride, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering, that means to be patient, to us word. Notice, not willing that any should perish, that's go to hell, but that all should come to repentance, salvation. That's in Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. Because of this false doctrine, many churches no longer preach the gospel of salvation by faith in their services, nor do they reach out in evangelism. If they still support missionaries, they encourage them to emphasize the social aspects of missions, those that improve the living conditions of the lost in the here and now. While this can be a means of opening doors to sharing the gospel of salvation, reaching the lost with the saving message of Christ no longer is their primary purpose. You see, they believe that there is no need, for God already has selected those who will be saved. Many missionaries have been dropped by supporting churches that hold this teaching because they are emphasizing the gospel of salvation instead of a gospel of social justice. Sadly, when the bride of Christ stops obeying her commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel of salvation to the lost, her purpose for remaining on the earth will cease. This false teaching denies the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts and minds of unbelievers that causes them to understand that they are separated from God by sin and in need of the Savior. As I've already mentioned, it's the Holy Spirit's task to convict them of this truth so that they may choose whether or not to believe and receive God's free offer of redemption by faith. Faith is not given by the Holy Spirit. Conviction of the truth is. The second area of this apostasy's teaching that is permeating the church today and quenching the work of the Holy Spirit is that it does not offer a clear understanding of prophecy and for the most part just avoids the subject. Because of this, people are not aware of God's overall plan for history and where we are in that plan today. It does not teach that both Israel and the church are included in God's prophetically revealed purposes for eternity. Anti-Semitism is increasing in the church because this apostasy teaches that God permanently turned away from Israel when the nation refused to believe that Jesus Christ was the promised Messiah and had him crucified. It teaches that God has permanently replaced Israel with the church. Additionally, those who have embraced this apostasy are unable to recognize and understand the signs that God has given for those living in the final days of the church age. For that matter, there's no clear understanding that the church is made up of church age believers. It teaches that the church is made up of both Old Testament and church age saints. Also, there is no teaching about the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema, 
where believers will be evaluated and rewarded for faithful service. This Bema will take place in heaven after the rapture. Further, it does not hold the teaching about the bride's return to earth with Christ at the end of the tribulation to rule and reign with him during the thousand-year millennium. You'll find that true teaching in Revelation 5, chapter, uh, verse 10, and Revelation 20, verse 4. This apostasy simply teaches the Lord suddenly will return at some future time to judge everyone throughout all history at the Great White Throne Judgment. I would suggest you view our video on the Great White Throne Judgment. At this judgment, those who are righteous will present good works that serve as evidence to confirm that they were pre-selected by God for salvation and heaven. They will enter God's eternal kingdom while the unredeemed will be judged according to their sinful works and sent to hell. If you think about this, in many ways, this clearly is a form of works, salvation, trying to gather evidence to prove you're the elect. In part one of our series, we saw how the Holy Spirit's influence has been quenched by worldliness in the individual believers and in the church. In what way does this teaching quench the Spirit? It makes people unable to recognize the signs of the times. As a result, they are not motivated to the purifying salt of the earth that restrains wickedness or to be the light of the world that transforms lost sinners into new creations in Christ. John tells us that the study and understanding of prophecy will have a purifying effect upon believers, according to 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Now, lawlessness is increasing because the Spirit is increasingly being quenched in the church. When the Spirit is quenched, the church cannot be led into all truth. For we read, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that he shall speak, and he will show you things to come. That's prophecy. John 16, verse 13. What did the Lord tell his disciples would happen to the salt that has lost its savor or usefulness? He told them, It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. Matthew 5.13 These words should surely be a wake-up call to the church today. You see, Christians need to recognize that the church soon may be trodden under men's feet because they have ceased being the salt and light in the world. Christ's words to the Laodicean church aptly describe and serve to warn the church of our day. The Lord Jesus Christ writes, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, 
and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. The Lord said that in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verses 15 through 19. If the church does not repent, but continues to quench the spirit, so that it is not, does not recognize that worldliness and apostasy has entered into it, the Lord may allow it to be persecuted by godless men. We must pray for wisdom and discernment in these perilous days. Now, some may be wondering if the apostasy I have just described has been given a name. The answer is, yes, it has. It's called New Calvinism. Now, at this point, I want to make it quite clear, quite clear, I do not believe that all new Calvinists and Calvinists are apostates. <laughs> Many are brothers and sisters in Christ. Furthermore, there is a broad spectrum of variations of new Calvinist doctrines being taught and held by churches today and individuals. Thus, not every Calvinistic church will be teaching the doctrines I just covered. However, the Calvinist teachings I have addressed are impacting and influencing many today and changing the focus and direction of the church. Now Jude describes those who bring apostasy into the church as certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude said that in verse 4. You see, Satan and his demonic host gain a foothold in the church through individuals who appear, appear to be genuine believers, but are not. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. We need to realize that apostates are not merely bringing in a different and perhaps more modern approach to Christianity. Notice what Jude said. These are ungodly men whose purpose is to lead believers away from genuine biblical truth. These men are not merely misguided fellow believers. No, they are demonically influenced individuals who intentionally cause believers to pay attention to, according to Paul, seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Satan also gains a foothold through genuine believers who are carnal and perhaps prideful and spiritually young and weak in the faith. Unfortunately, these individuals often are given teaching and leadership roles in the church. Most often, 
doctrinal error enters churches and Bible schools through individuals such as these. It also enters through literature, the media, the internet, and Bible studies taught by misguided or biblically unqualified individuals who appear very spiritual. Undiscerning individuals enthusiastically absorb erroneous teaching and pass on what they have learned to others. When we see this, we must speak out and earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints, according to Jude. You see, Jude lays this responsibility upon us. However, we always must endeavor to speak the truth in the spirit of love to fellow believers who have been taken in by error, for we are not battling against fellow believers, but against apostates, false teaching, and ungodly men. Apostates who are clearly identified, however, should be removed from positions of authority, influence, and perhaps even the church. We must purge out, therefore, the old leaven, for ye know not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole loaf, says Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. If apostates are not removed, they will take over the church like leaven spreading through a lump of dough, 1 Corinthians 5, verses 6 and 7, and Galatians 5, verse 9. It is helpful to read about the Old Testament apostates also to understand and see some of their characteristics. Jude, therefore, used as examples apostates in verses 5 through 16 so that we are able to identify them. What do we need to understand and recognize during this time of increasing lawlessness and apostasy that not only will encourage us, but will also enable us to live as victorious Christians. Well, the church can begin by recognizing not only the seriousness of the situation, but also that God has forewarned us and given us all that we need for victory over spiritual wickedness and lawlessness in this world and apostasy in the church. When we are confronted by ungodly influences in our personal lives, in the world, and the church, the Bible gives us assurance and direction by helping us to recognize that God is aware of the situation. He knows our concerns. He knows our temptations. In James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, he promised to give us wisdom and will provide the means to handle every situation if we trust in him completely, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Furthermore, we must recognize, as Esther did when she lived in perilous times, that God has allowed us to be here now for such a time as this. Look at Esther chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, we each must seek God's will in every circumstance, for he has promised to never leave us or forsake us. He will supply all we need for this time and hour of the church age. We must recognize that earnest prayer and Bible study are absolutely essential in helping us overcome every trial. 
we also must recognize that we are engaged in an unseen spiritual battle. Again, we read from Paul, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That was the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. Many believers need to be made aware of the invisible spiritual battle going on all around us in every sphere of human endeavor. Satan and the fallen angels, demons, are very real and are actively working to derail God's plan for an earthly kingdom ruled by his Son and the glorious eternal kingdom where the righteous of all ages will dwell with God and see him face to face. You see, they hate God, his creation, and those who love him. Satan wants to unite humanity in rebellion against God and to be worshipped as God. Everything he does is motivated by this goal. We read that he is able to blind the minds of unbelievers so they cannot recognize truth, and instead they can believe the lies and deceptions that promote his goal. For we read, the God, that's little g of this world, that's Satan, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4. Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers because he does not want individuals to hear, believe, and receive the saving message of the gospel. For you see, they can hear the gospel. They can't see it. They can hear it. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Demons can actually influence and control unbelievers who reject any thoughts of God's existence or their own future accountability to him. Although God's handiwork is seen throughout the earth in the universe, they refuse to acknowledge him as creator and sovereign Lord and ruler. God has allowed this to happen for several reasons. First reason, he wants individuals, God wants individuals to choose between what this world has to offer in sensual pleasure, power, wealth, and influence in the here and now versus the wonderful eternal blessings God promises to those who choose to trust him by faith. This allows human beings to exercise their freedom of choice. Secondly, God has given the church the task of shining the light of the gospel of salvation into the darkened minds of unbelievers so that some may choose to turn away from lawlessness and sin and become new creations in Christ. The bride must decide whether or not to obey Christ, for she has been given the freedom of choice. Although Jesus Christ gained the victory over Satan's hold on the earth at the cross when he paid the penalty for humanity's sin with his life-giving blood and then rose from the grave, as yet he has not reclaimed the earthly kingdom. 
God, in the meanwhile, is using Satan and the demons to test, to hone, and to strengthen believers in the church age. God wants believers to be victorious by growing in discernment, by using the armor of God for defense, and walking and praying in the Spirit. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, Ephesians 6, 14 through 18, and Galatians 5, 16. Therefore, it's vitally important for believers to recognize that, first of all, we must learn how to use the armor of God to walk in the Spirit and pray effectively. If we want to have victory over evil, whenever it confronts us, especially in these challenging days. For Paul writes, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. That's Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 18. If you want to be successful when we contend for the faith, we need every piece of spiritual armor that God has provided. We need to be girt about with truth. That means to being grounded in the truth, holding firmly to it. This can only be done by earnestly studying the Bible and being in a church with solid Bible preachers and teachers who explain all of the scriptures clearly. And do not leave out any part, particularly prophecy. Paul wrote this in 2 Timothy 3.16. This is how we acquire God's truth, so that we can wrap it around us like a belt and take it with us wherever we go. We also have to have the breastplate of righteousness, which means that as believers, we should examine ourselves for sin and worldliness that tarnishes our righteousness and hinders our relationship with God and our testimony to others. You see, to maintain a glowing testimony or a shining breastplate, we must examine ourselves honestly in the light of Scripture and confess any sins we discover, according to 1 John 1, 9. You see, God hears and answers the prayers of the righteous, for the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. James 5.16 Furthermore, we are to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It means that we must be ready to share the gospel whenever the Holy Spirit prompts us to do so. Now, not only should we prepare a brief testimony of our life, maybe two, three, four minutes, and our salvation experience, but we also need to memorize scripture the verses of salvation that can lead to salvation. For faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We've got to properly give the word of God, according to Romans 10, 17. 
You see, when we try to explain salvation in our own words, we can only be effective if we quote God's words. Because that's what can break through to them. Furthermore, pray for opportunities. Be willing to look for God-honoring ways to meet people outside of the church. Because today, few unbelievers come into churches looking for answers. Now, while our goal always must remain unchanged to share the gospel biblically, our method of communicating the message of salvation may include modern tools, obviously, such as the internet and online streaming, etc. Success depends solely upon our dependence on the Lord and careful evaluation as to the godliness of our methods and obedience to the principle of the word. When our feet are shod with shoes of preparation, we're equipped to take the gospel wherever the Spirit leads us. Above all, it's essential that we take that shield of faith wherever we go. Faith is simply believing God's word and trusting his promises. For example, he promised, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, Hebrews 13.5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, James 1.5. You see, we should learn and memorize God's promises so that our shields of faith completely protect us from the fiery darts of persecution, of doubt, and temptation that Satan and his demonic host will hurl at us. Further, we need to take the helmet of salvation, for it guards our minds from a specially lethal darts that Satan throws at us. One of the big ones he often throws believers is the temptation to doubt their salvation. This particular temptation causes many believers to become ineffective in their Christian lives. Paul assured believers that they have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. This means that we are permanently preserved by God so that we cannot lose our salvation. God writes, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians 1.13 We also must take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So far, all the pieces of armor we have looked at are obtained by knowing, believing, and obeying the scriptures. How does this piece differ from the others? Well, the sword of the Spirit actually is the Word of God. Believers should know the Bible so well that they are able to gain victory over any spiritual attack by applying the proper Bible passages correctly and accurately. You see, we should be like skillful swordsmen who accurately wield their swords to defeat the enemy. Now, this takes diligent study time and practice if we are to be able to apply the scriptures to whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. Also, we have to pray always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. This is the weapon of our warfare that Satan is host hate the most. They hate it because prayer unleashes the omnipotent power of God that defeats them. 
For we read, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, that's prayer, are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 and 4. This is why Satan has motivated men to remove prayer from schools, from the government, and other public gatherings. In many instances, he has undermined and weakened prayer in churches. There was a time when prayer meeting was considered essential to the life of a church and its believers. For this was where prayers and supplications were made for fellow believers and the Spirit's leading was relied on to lead the church in outreach and direction in general. Spiritual warfare was done in the prayer meeting. Today, many believers consider prayer meeting unnecessary and actually an inconvenient intrusion in this week of their busyness. For this reason, prayer meetings today are the poorest attended activity of the church. That should not be. Also, the focus has altered in many of the churches that still gather for what they now call the midweek service. Prayer is often brief, while singing, the message, and fellowship dominate. The emphasis of the short prayer time is on temporal issues such as health, job needs, etc. Now, while these matters definitely should be prayed for, earnest prayer must also be made for the lost, for wisdom, for guidance in discernment, and victory in these perilous days. Rarely do you hear prayers saying, Lord, make us victorious in these perilous days. As persecution increases in the days ahead, and perhaps it will, it is my prayer that believers will get serious about earnest corporate gatherings for prayer, where individuals in turn bring requests to the throne of grace and others amen in agreement. For the Lord said, Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Matthew 18, verses 19-20 Corporate prayer and individual prayer are more essential than ever before in these perilous days. Prayer becomes effective when we know and use God's promises, His words from Scripture, in our prayers. If we are applying the promises correctly to our requests, then they are in agreement with God's will. Now, He may or may not answer right away, but he will always answer. It also is my prayer that individuals and churches will recognize the urgent need to pray and put into practice these truths from God's word. Fully equipped prayer warriors are our primary defense in these final days of the church age. Hopefully you've gained a better understanding about the spiritual battles waging around us today and the reasons why lawlessness and apostasy are increasing. 
Satan is using the sinful temptations of the world to draw humanity away from God and toward Satan's plan to unite all humanity in rebellion against God. Sadly, the Bride of Christ is quenching the Spirit's prompting toward holy living and evangelistic outreach and becoming more and more like the world. Apostasy has entered the church because the church is not doing her part. Satan's influence is increasing and the world is growing more and more lawlessness. However, each believer, each of us, is accountable for his or her response to the circumstances and situations we find ourselves in. When we go about our daily lives and find ourselves facing trials, temptations, or simply difficult decisions that must be made, it's wonderful to know the Holy Spirit will help us, for He indwells us. He helps us to discern truth from error, to understand how to apply the scriptures to our situation. Further, we have the armor of God at our disposal if we take the time to acquire it and maintain it. This, of course, takes effort on our parts. As I close, I would like to offer three steps which Jude gave to encourage we who are dealing with apostasy in churches. Jude says, But beloved, building up yourselves, building up yourselves, notice, takes your effort on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. That's in verses 20 and 21. Therefore, first, we must build ourselves up in the faith by studying all of Scripture, including prophecy, and knowing God's plan for history and the bride, that's we, the church, our role in Christ's coming kingdom. We must also study so that we can contend for the faith effectively and counter the influences of apostate teaching. Number two, we must earnestly pray in the Holy Spirit for strength and guidance. It takes real effort, takes real discipline to take the time to pray for that strength, help, and guidance. Third, we are to keep ourselves in the love of God and to look for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. That's to look for his return. I believe that we are kept in the love of God by getting to know him better through Bible reading and prayer. Just as a bride wants to know her future husband better and eagerly anticipates her wedding day, we should be earnestly looking for Christ to return for us, his bride, to try to be getting to know him better and better right now so when we see him face to face, we can rejoice and be happy with him. Now, while we wait, we should consider Paul's warning to those who will be living in the final days of apostasy. That's found in Romans chapter 11. Many believers today are wondering if the Lord soon will come for his bride in the rapture. While we can't know the specific day or hour of his coming, we are told that we should be able to recognize the signs, such as lawlessness and apostasy, telling us that the church age is drawing to a close. The imminence of the rapture has served to encourage and motivate believers throughout the entire church age. However, another 
of the Lord's reasons for not telling us the exact day or hour may be because that hour depends on the church. I believe the illustration of the olive tree in Romans 11 supports this supposition of mine. We read there, And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, wert grafted in among them, and with them partakes of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches, that's against Israel, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off that I could be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. That's Romans 11, verses 17 to 21 and verse 23. You see, the branches of the cultivated olive tree represent Israel. Israel received rich blessings from God who is represented by the life-giving root system of the tree. The blessings flowed as long as the nation obeyed him and looked for the promised Messiah. When most in Israel did not believe that Jesus Christ was their Messiah and rejected him, God broke off some of the branches. He replaced them by grafting in branches from a wild olive tree. He grafted in the church and the church-age believers. These branches represent primarily the Gentile church for the last 2,000 years. The church has been enjoying blessings like Israel enjoyed blessings, enjoying blessings from God because of her belief in the Messiah and her obedience to him. But this illustration goes on to warn the church not to be boastful about this. For remember, if God removed Israel's branches because of unbelief and a lack of testimony to the world, he could do the same to the branches of the church. Could this be the reason he comes for the church? Because it no longer is believing, obeying his word, and fulfilling the Great Commission? It certainly is something to think about. For when the church has been removed, God will turn again to Israel and the tribulation will begin. When Israel repents of sin and believes in the Messiah at the end of the tribulation, the nation will be grafted into the tree again. God's plan for history is progressing, and it will be fulfilled. May we be found faithful and hear his words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Please join me in our next video. Until then, may the Lord bless you mightily. I will see you either here or in the air.